Hello and welcome to the Make Ideas Reality Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Brett McAfee from Skull and Spade 13. We talk about grit. No, not sandpaper. No, grit as in having the intestinal fortitude to push through hard times. We talk about how grit got him into the position to work with the godfather himself, Jimmy Duresta, for over three years and all the benefits and sacrifices that came with that. We touch on having a bad relationship with numbers and his unique way of looking at the numbers when you're starting out on YouTube. This episode is packed full of hard-hitting truths and some great takeaways. There is a two and a half hour unedited version of this podcast for all true Skull and Spade 13 fans on my Patreon. It's a public post. There's no need or pressure to sign up. Just click the link and enjoy. Regardless, I know you're going to get something from this episode. Lock yourself away in your workshop and get ready to get inspired and enjoy. Hello and welcome. I'm Justin. And I'm Brett. That was so bad. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh, that was the way. <laughs> oh, that was so good, Brett. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm just gonna do that one again so I can yeah. actually roll it into it. <laughs> I won't I have, laugh next I have time. At it. I think it's cringeworthy as it is to have 30 seconds of us giggling like idiots. We tighten it up. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome. I'm Justin. And I'm Brett. Today's guest is known for swinging a hammer, placed in the gifted class because he knew his grammar. Staying true to himself and not giving a shit fortitude through hard times gave him true fucking grit welcome to the show brett mccarthy from skull and spade 13 oh yeah that's me (laughs) i i was i put out a poll on my instagram saying should i get rid of these rhyming intros no two people replied no so it was unanimous <laughs> it was a unanimous decision <laughs> they're of the staying. masses <laughs> they're staying there you go yeah um now uh interesting thing is you know like all the stories on this podcast it seems i always meet these people at maker central um and that was you i had funny thing about maker central is like i knew nobody so everyone was like don't you know brett and and the fools and i was like who the fuck is Brett and who are the fools? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't know. So I ended up meeting you. Um, I weirdly fell in love with you. Like, it's a weird thing to say, but like, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, this guy, I need to stay in contact with this guy. Yeah. Cause like, it seems like he knows what's going on. So like, and he's got a good grasp on the community, which I didn't have on like any grasp at all. So uh, I think I actually sent you a message after make essential. And I was like, uh, you know, can, can you, would you be like open for like kind of mentoring me or something like that? I wrote. And it was funny because you said, of course, yes. Cause you're a nice person. But then I soon realized like I needed to do this shit on my own. Like I didn't need a fucking mentor. Like, and so 
that's basically it. Like I didn't really bother you with any, <laughs> anything else after that. I, I, I kind of just went on with it and, and yeah. did my own thing. And here we are on a podcast talking together. Go. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And even I remember getting that message and going, well, I, you know, I met this guy just, you know, for these couple of days and I don't know what I have to offer, but I would love to, you know, any, any possibility of just bringing more people into the fold that have this good attitude and this kind of nonsensical approach to what making is where it doesn't have to be serious all the time. Mistakes get made. You screw up, you learn from it, you get better, you make cool shit and, and sharing it with people, you know, it's most of the reason why we started the fools and, and really, um, you know, created the room and, and tried to create this, safe space for people to be able to come in and do literally anything that they wanted and share it. And it would be not only received well, but also you'd, you'd get back everything that you put into it. So I didn't exactly know how to respond to the mentor thing. Cause I actually had received a couple of messages of like, can I come work in your shop? Can you teach me blacksmithing or whatever? I'm like, yeah. I am not an expert by any means. Like don't come here and do this. <laughs> and also don't move like one guy was in like ecuador or something that was messaging me he was like i will move there to work with you and jimmy and i was like no don't do that at all <laughs> you know i appreciate the sentiment but um yeah it's it's a nice feeling like yeah, i appreciated the message more for the sentiment of just being like how did you get involved or can can you help me get more involved or do more than what i'm doing currently so yeah i was very willing to do whatever I could to help you. And I didn't, I didn't do anything for you. You I mean, did all this stuff yourself and now I you're 40 some odd episodes into, an, into a <laughs> podcast you created. I know it's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of a little bit launch into you and stop talking about me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who've been living under, under an anvil, I thought, um, why don't you give, uh, your little pitch of sort of who you are and what you're all about. What do you do? All right. Um, so yes, my name is Brett. This is my elevator pitch. My name is Brett McAfee. You said McAfee, but it's fine. That's <laughs> the proper, that's the proper pronunciation, but my family heritage has been bastardized over the years. I'm sorry. So. You, know, you know what I wanted to say the whole time? McCafee. <laughs> I don't know why I think it's it funny. looks so every time I Saw a McDonald's ad. I was like, it's so close to my name. It just bums me up. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Kansas. Um, got out of there, went to art school. Um, started following my passion of making things after a few various desk jobs and a little bit more traditional work. Fell in love with the maker community. Um, I love making videos. So it was a really, um, it was a really good connection to make between wanting to be a storyteller because I'm not so good at my words, but I'll tell you a story visually and also making things. So being able to put both of those worlds together, uh, brought me to the maker community. It's since been, um, just a fantastic space to exist in with a bunch of great people. And I feel like I'm growing my skills on a pretty regular basis by surrounding myself with people that are better than me. I make shit for a living and I try and share it on the social medias, YouTube being the biggest one. 
And and you're doing a lot, just mainly blacksmithing, isn't it? It is probably the, I'd say it's the primary focus. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I fell in love with smithing and, and I just, I absolutely love the craft. And as much as I've worked in different materials and I, I fancy myself a bit of a decent fabricator, like steel fabrication, you know, I've done leather work and I've done all kinds of different crafts, but forging spoke to me and still continues to do so. They just keep coming up with silly ideas of stuff to beat steel into weird shapes and something about taking a rigid material, man-made rigid material, and then like creating organic shapes out of, you know, a piece of square bar and then suddenly it becomes a leaf. Like, oh my God, oh, <laughs> speaks, speaks. Love. So today we're gonna to be talking about grit. Um, and I think grit is a really interesting topic, you know, getting used to feeling uncomfortable. Um, you know, grit is like the intestinal fortitude to push through the hard times. And I think in your life, from what I've heard, Brett, you've pushed yourself always uh, in out of your comfort zone, um, whether it's in the beginning, in your upbringing, being the weirdo that was you know the artist kid and not playing baseball or whether it was you know going to art school and getting pushed uh, beyond what you could do um, then again you know after art school moving to las vegas and working with stuff you never really worked for with before and 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 just learning on the job uh, and then throwing yourself into this crazy like reality TV show that you know put a bunch of people in cars and travel from Berlin to South Africa and I think you know some crazy stuff happened there um, and then you know fast forwarding through a whole heap of career stuff to the point where you decide you're going to work with Jimmy Duresta and I think you know we'll just fast forward and just go straight into that because I think that's going to provide the most amount of value for everyone uh, that's listening. So where did, how did you end up hanging out with and working with Jimmy Duresta? So I found one blacksmithing class in Brooklyn near the water. There was a knife making class, which God, I look back at it now. I'm like fucking knife making. Like, of course it had to be a knife making class. Uh, <laughs> And especially the, the experiences that I've had in the last couple of years since i gotten into making, it was bad. Like the teacher was not good, super unsafe. Like the other students that were there were just like, they didn't give a shit. Steel was flying everywhere, you know, super unsafe. And I walked away with a thing that has a blunt edge on it and it is a piece of shit. <laughs> and it still sits, you know, I have it in a little tray in my little keepsake items because it's probably the worst thing I've ever made. Um, and I realized that like they weren't doing those classes very often and it was effectively the same knife making class. And I was like, man, what do I gotta do? Like, I have this full-time job, but I wonder if there's ways that I could, you know, use my weekends to, to make more stuff. And Jimmy put out a video kind of right around that same time that I was getting into that line of thinking that was, that showed off that his uh, shop was in the Lower East Side, which was, I don't know, a six minute walk from where my office was. 
Yeah, right. So I was just like, oh my God, I don't know what I have to do, but I'm, I got to try and reach out to this guy. Maybe I can go to his shop, you know, and hang out, pick his brain about a few things. And uh, he puts that damn email out on almost everything that you see. Like if he ever says like, email me about something or like, hey, you can contact me if you know something about this letterpress machine that I've got. Jimmy Dress at Mac.com. He's been using it forever. He put it, I think, in the description or something like that in that video. And so I emailed it. I was like, I don't know. I don't have any other way of contacting this guy, but maybe it's worth a shot. Mm. And not two days later, I got an email back from him and he put his phone number in it. I was like, give me a call. See when I'm in the shop. Like, feel free to stop by. And I like it blew my mind because this guy was like a celebrity he's a big deal youtube maker you <laughs> yeah, know he's got a huge following and he's so talented and uh yeah so like I, I my friend alex my very good friend alex that i was friends with since university also lived near me in brooklyn it was like half the reason i chose that apartment i remember going over to alex's place like that night and going holy shit like jimmy gave me his phone number i'm gonna call him and like he didn't know he knows nothing about the maker community at that point he's like who the hell is jimmy <laughs> yeah but he's a good businessman and was doing his own world of making and so he kind of took it back and and got to the analogy of it you know started making a bunch of connections okay well you want to do this how do we get to that it doesn't matter who you're going to meet how do we get to meet that person right kind of like a more analytical attack or an analytical approach to getting into Jimmy's door. And he knew that I was a bit, I don't know, burned out on the whole office life thing and working for this company and not feeling like my creative outlets were being uh, adhered to. Mm -hmm. So Alex and I spent a little bit of time chatting in his tiny little backyard in Brooklyn about, well, what would it mean for me to quit my job? Because at this point, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at. I don't really want to do this. I want to get into making, but I actually don't have a lot of experience. So is it really that smart to quit a good paying job and just say, fuck it, and throw, like, throw caution to the wind? Hmm. Yeah. It was the same damn thing that we've been talking about, man. Like Even in the, the little pre-show that we did. Stuff like that becomes less intimidating the more you experience it and realize that it doesn't negatively affect you or on the flip side of that, it really positively affects you. You come out on the other side and go, wow, I'm so capable. I am, yeah, I'm, I'm so not afraid to do these things anymore. Well, so what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to have to get another job. Yeah. Like, like, wow. Whoopty. You know, like you already have yeah. one. You can just get another one. Just like exactly. It, right. Yeah. And so, uh, I ended up uh, calling Jimmy. He was, I still remember the conversation because he was in his truck on the phone. Taylor was in the passenger seat and he was parking a trailer. And so he was like half paying attention to me and half trying to park a trailer behind his truck. And it was like kind of having a hard time doing that and chatting with me at the same time. Yeah. But he was in upstate uh, at that point And he was like, yeah, I'll be back in the city on, you know, whatever two days from then was. He goes, stop by the shop. You know, I'll be there from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night or something. So I knew I had a decent window. I went to work that day and was just giddy. I remember, <laughs> I'm going to go meet this like super famous YouTube guy. And uh, 
to talk to him about making. I had a couple of close friends at my work that I had kind of put the bug in their ear. I was like, look, I, if this is an opportunity, I'm going to leave. And they were like, no, we don't. We like you here. I'm like, that's great. But I would rather go and make chairs, you know, for, for my bread. I don't want to work this job anymore. But they, they supported. They were like, yeah, you know, it seems like you're really passionate about it. You're creative. Go do it. And with their blessing, I took the two stops on the subway and then was standing outside of Jimmy's workshop, you know, which is underground. You got to go through the little doors on the ground. And I got to the bottom of the stairs and kind of turned the corner. He's got a little bit of a labyrinth in that city shop, you know, and I turned the corner and I remember like looking through the door and being like, holy shit, it's that guy that I've been watching. <laughs> that is so weird you know like i'm here and he's he's look at his workshop it's insane there's shit everywhere it's super dirty i don't know what he was working on but i just remember like a huge smile and and trying to play cool being like no no, be cool man be cool because you like super want to work with this guy or at least do live in this world be cool and he was nice and, and like welcoming and showed me around at a few things, showed me some of the projects that he worked on. Like what I didn't know at this point is that that was actually a really regular thing. Fans of his would show up at the shop. They'd find out where it was. They'd come in, say hello, shake his hand, take a picture, whatever the hell it was. Mm. And like, I didn't know that was such a normal thing for him. So as nice as he treated me, it was very like, standard right yeah you're in, you're another person i deal with this often it's great to meet you like thanks for watching my videos nicest guy right yeah i do know that he was making ice picks at one point that night and he accidentally double stamped one or double ran one on the cnc because at that point he was using the little shot button he ran it twice because he like wasn't paying attention and i go how much are you selling that one for? And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm like, I don't, these are mess ups. I, I throw them in like a box in the corner. And I was like, that's fine. I will buy it from, for the same price that you usually sell. Like I want that one. And he goes, why? Why do you, it's a mess up. I go, yeah, defects are amazing. And when <laughs> you're doing these production things, like no one has that one. Hmm. Everyone else has the other one because that's what you make. I want the one that no one has. And he, he sold it to me, <laughs> like total just business transaction happened. But when he put it in my hand, he goes, you know, we'd exchange money at that point. He puts it in my hand. He goes, hey, let me take a picture of that. I'm going to post it on Instagram and just show people that I, I fucked up. And I was like, great. He posted it and not like 30 seconds after he posted it, it was like a bunch of people going, I'll, I'll pay double for it. I want that one. You know, all these things. He goes, oh my God, why do people want this? And I was like, ha <laughs> I knew it, you know, like, and I got it. And yeah, yeah. no one knew who I was at that point. It was just a random dude. It's not like I put, I didn't even have Instagram at that time. Like Jimmy actually talked me into it. But holy shit, like that was where it started. I, I full on gave him the, like, I, do you need an assistant or an apprentice? Could I be an apprentice? He said politely no to both because he wasn't going to pay somebody. didn't really feel like he needed the help you know, what have you, it's his own deal. And it's not really my place to walk in as a complete stranger and ask for a job. But like that, 
I was so inspired by his workshop and his space and like knowing the stuff that he had created by watching his videos. It was just like, this is, this is it. Like I showed up, I saw it. Yeah, I'm in. Mm -hmm. And he told me when I was leaving, uh, he was like, well, look, man, I, you know, maybe I could ask around, see if any of my buddies, you know, need help or, or maybe I could get you like a construction gig or like a day labor gig, whatever. Um, but if you want, you know, feel free to come back by the shop. You said you're close, like come in. I know you're not a weirdo, so like, feel free to stop back by. So at that. Boom, you're in. <laughs> you well, interest, you, uh, what, yeah. what have you done? You didn't know what you <laughs> signed up for. So, yeah, it, I ended up talking to my friend Alex. and I told him the whole story and how excited I was and stuff like that. So then the game plan became how do I get out of my job and make this a feasible decision to go effectively work for Jimmy, even though he told me he didn't need me. Um, and we started kind of game planning everything. Like, how do you, how do you gracefully bow out of the company that you've worked for for five years? Where like I had gotten to a level that I didn't really matter. to like the executive staff, I was very easily replaceable. It's not like my job was so niche that they needed to, you know, pay me more money to keep me on board. Um, and we had grown to such a size that, you know, like it wasn't going to create any kind of ripples or anything. It was mostly just the friends and the, the relationships that I had developed that I was going to kind of miss because I knew our worlds were going to diverge completely and we weren't going to interact with each other very often. But, you know, that all went the way that it did. Uh, in terms of me like slowly taking away responsibilities, dishing them off to other people, having my discussions with the higher level people and saying like, look, I, I think I'm gonna leave. I, I need to get some ducks in a row and I want you guys to be aware of it that I'm, I'm not just gonna like dip out of here and leave you guys hanging. I'd been working with them long enough, they all understood. Um, but they were private conversations like just let me handle this because i'm not 100 percent sure if i want to you know still being a little bit skittish and then i was sitting in the production room that i had helped make right put all this sound booth together and built stuff yep. sitting there and i'm working on a project but i'm listening to making it and bob asked jimmy like hey i've seen this guy in some of your stories or in some of your videos recently what's his deal because he's been in there kind of regularly he realized that at this point i had been going to jimmy's shop every single day that he had been there like unless he was upstate and and i would walk by and the doors were closed i showed up every day after work and so i'm listening to making it and he's like oh yeah uh this guy brett's been kind of hanging around recently and he's a good guy but he's been cleaning the shop and, you know, helping with various things. And I know he listens to the show. Uh, so Brett, just like, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for helping. And I fucking like paused it. I called my friend Alex because it was kind of a private room. I called Alex and I was like, I'm going to quit like now. <laughs> yeah. and he goes, well, hold on, hold on. What was like, you know, do proper, do the two week thing, whatever. So it was the next morning. Like I went to Jimmy's that night 
I didn't say anything about it. It was still cool. Like he told me, don't quit your job. You know, you're not working for me, all this kind of stuff. But I went in the next morning and I met with the CEO. Like I showed up at like seven o'clock. People didn't start showing up until like nine. Showed up at seven so I could be the first one there and like immediately go, hey, hey, I need to say. And I told my CEO, I was like, well, this is what I want to do. So I'm, I'm leaving. Hmm. And he was so confused. He's like, you know, you, this is a pretty good gig. And like, the, if you stay here a little bit longer, like there's a lot of potential for you to continue growing and stepping up through the company. I'm like, yeah. He goes, but you want to go like make tables and chairs for a living. I was like, yeah. And he's, Fuck, he was so confused. Right. Because he just like in his world, it was all about, you know, making money hitting your six-figure salary, doing your thing. And that's not where I was at. Well, doesn't that just say, like, you know, being true to who you are doesn't mean following, like, the six-figure salary and yes. you know, having all this stuff, right? Like, and, you know, it's funny because you talk, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-pod. You know, like, I, I envisage, like, <laughs> you, you're like Bob, in from in fight club and you know <laughs> jimmy's you know tyler durton and you know you're kind of like he's like get out of here you know <laughs> all the time you know but you just keep on showing up and you keep on showing up giving value all the time you know you showed the grit like you know you, there must have been times in your head where you're like what the fuck am i doing here like I'm just yeah. sleeping his floor and like you know like yeah. Yeah, it was four months. I think that's what I I realized. I've tried to put it together what the timeline was. I think it was four months that I did that. So I had no social life, mostly, right? It's go to work and then go to second work, which wasn't a real job, but I enjoyed it. Get home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, sleep, do it again Mm. for the better part of four months. Like social life suffered energy you know just all all these other things but i knew it's i knew it's what i wanted to do and then it was that thank you that i got from him that call it the tyler durden thing right for the fight club (laughs) thing jim was never mean he never told me to like leave he was always very welcoming but it was that same kind of thing i was like dude you know today's not job day you don't show up and immediately say like you know what you're fine here's a job it was the fact that he said thank you for what I had been doing for him, which I hadn't heard at my company that I'd worked for for five years. I hadn't heard a thank you in a long time. Exactly, right? So it completely shifted from just like, I would rather sweep the floors and enjoy this and feel like I'm giving value and also being appreciated for whatever that value is. I'll show up every day. I'll stand on the front porch and hold a broom like if that's what I need to do, but it's, you know, it's not like, it's not like that's revolutionary. That's what it used to be like back in the day where people yeah. always try and say that they were, you know, people had more grit back in the day. They were, they were tougher back in the day. You get the older generation saying that like there's certain aspects of that that are true. Like I grew up in a generation where I was told I would go to college and then get a job and I would be fine because I had a college degree. Hmm. Turns out, my college degree never got me a job. Yeah, exactly. It, right. it really didn't. Like, it was connections that I had made and my own guff to be, you know, creating these things that people were like, okay, you know what you're doing. 
Yeah. Or at least like you, you got an intro outlook on it, you know. And with Jim, it just became like proving that you wanted to be there or and proving value, right? Can you be useful in the same space? And like, you know, again, as, as welcoming as he was, we never really had a discussion about the, like, I guess I work for you now. Mm. Um, the day I quit, though, uh, I think he actually ended up, my CEO was nice enough. He was like confused out of his mind, but he was like, look, two weeks is standard, but like you already have been dishing off the responsibilities and you've been prepping for this. So like, it's no big deal. Like, how about you finish out the week, which I think was like two days or something. Um, and I showed up at Jim's shop the first day that I didn't have a job and I showed up at like 10 or 11 o'clock and he yeah. just goes, you're here early. And I was like, yeah, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to like tell him when I quit my job. Um, it took about 10 seconds. He's like, did you quit your job? I was like, no, uh, yeah. And he goes, dude, what are you going to do for money? Like, how are you going to, and it's like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm fine. Like I saved up money. I wasn't really spending a lot of money. You know, I was just, doing my job and making pretty decent cash. So I'd saved up a bit. I was like, I'll figure it out. But for right now, let's just, I just want to be here and do this. You know, you got more hours from me. And man, it was, it was a crazy first couple of months of just like showing up. What am I doing today? What do I get to, do I get to sand something? Like Jimmy, let me make a cutting board or two, you know, out of some scrap material. And then, I tried to refinish a hatchet. I had no fucking clue what I was doing. Like I overgrinded <laughs> it and took the heat treat out of it. And I made a handle that was wrong. That Jimmy was like, hey, I also made that mistake the first time I tried to do it. What you need to do is this. Ooh, now I'm learning on the job. Oh, crap. Like I'm getting to learn these things. Mm. I'd never really worked with a bandsaw before. And then you watch Jimmy do bandsaw wizardry. And you just go, holy shit, I need to learn how to do that. And so it was like, as much attention as I could possibly muster to just ingest everything that I could. You know, how does he shoot his videos? How does he use this tool? How does he construct things? Blah, 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 blah. It started to feed into Jimmy going like, well, I know you have a production background because at this point now we, we're just shooting the shit while we're working. How about you run the camera today? That way I can just cruise. You know, I'll just build, you know how my videos are shot. Try and shoot it like that. Great do those first couple ones. Hey, those, yeah, they look like stuff that I would shoot from now on. Like maybe you'll move the camera around and that way I can move a little bit faster. Great. Now I'm running the camera. Hey, Hey, Hey. And then it became like going and getting material runs taken care of or dropping stuff off at the, you know, parcel facility because he's shipping ice picks again. Okay. I'm taking ice picks down. And it all just started to feed this like, Oh my God, like we're starting to get into it. And then maybe like once every couple of weeks, I was making some little stupid project just to practice, you know. It, it came out that Jim, uh, the, the building that Jimmy's shop was in uh, was out of contract and they were raising the rates on everything, like the tenant housing, the way the New York uh, tenant situation is it's a fucking nightmare. So they were going to raise his rent like, six times the amount he was paying or something outrageous like that but he already had the place upstate so he talked to me very openly about it he's like look i'm not gonna be here anymore 
Like I'm not paying the rent. It's ridiculous. I've already got a place upstate. I've been wanting to build like a shop up there. I, that's what I'm doing. And I immediately was like, look, man, I don't want to stop doing this. So if you're okay with it, I would like to, you know, I'll, I'll sort it out. I'll move up there. And he's like, well, look, man, you know, again, in like the nicest way. And he was being, he was being honest, but very supportive about it. He's like, I just want you to make this decision for yourself because I don't want you to feel like, like easy street that I'm going to start paying you a bunch of money and that you're going to be comfortable and I'll take care of you. And all like, he just wanted me to make sure that it wasn't like, Oh, if I move up there, then it's like we're buddies and we're partners and we work together again. Right. This is a job now. He was just trying to make sure I was making the decision for myself and for my own passion. And things weren't really comfortable up, up there, were they? Like, no. <laughs> it's no. not like you lived in a, like a glorious, you know, or like lived with Jimmy or, or anything like that, you know? Like, oh God. I mean, he'd even said that too. He was nice enough to offer. He's like, well, look, I got a big house, you know, if you need some time to sort shit out up there, you could live in the place. I'm like, nah, it's better if we're not on top of each other 24 hours a day. Hmm. Um, which, yeah, that would have been, that would have been tough. But I, you know, same situation as in the past, like the, the grit, you're like, this is the decision that I'm making. I told my closest friends that that was, what, that was what I was going to do. They were all supportive, but also kind of sad that I was leaving the city. Uh, I immediately started hunting for a car because no one has a car in New York. I got a truck. I knew I could fill the truck with everything that I owned. I sold as much of the stuff in the apartment as I could because I couldn't fit it in the truck. And it was, let's see. Yeah, it was 48 hours between buying a truck and moving out of my apartment hmm. yeah. because it was just, it had to get done. And, um, you know, it's, it was kind of a whirlwind just to get up there and try and settle into a super cheap apartment as cheap as I could find because I knew I was going to be pinched on money, but I knew I could do it. And it's like, it's so what I wanted to do. And I remember driving over to Jimmy's property you know, after I moved up there, I'm just like, I'm here now. Like I'm fully in it. Hmm. I, I got accustomed to his little workshop, the little tiny barn that he has behind his place. We were working on projects up there, uh, pretty much every day. And the first gig I did with him was a bullet bourbon, like some steel signage that we went and took to Louisville, you know, like an 18 hour drive or whatever put them on the wall, did this whole wall treatment for it, looked really cool, and then came back. And uh, I think he actually threw me a little bit of cash from that gig. And I was like, uh-oh, here's, here's where we really get into the shit. Like, how do we continue adding value in a way that justifies maybe like some freelance pay or, or some kind of like day rate, something or other with Jim? Hmm. And... I think he started to realize the potential in it too and realized that like if if I could become capable of doing some of these things then he was not only saving time for himself but also if I could knock out a hundred ice picks that might take him a week to do because he's got other shit to do well then he can sell the ice picks and that could maybe 
pay for my time. Right. And it just continued growing, continued growing. Right. And then he had pushed me into the YouTube thing when we were still in the city shop and like got me on Instagram and all these things. But by the time he got that warehouse shop, his main shop now, I asked him if I could take up a little space, like have a little workbench, do all that kind of stuff, and started to put a little bit more root down and and get my own tools and try and start working on these projects, stuff that I could feasibly crack out in the late hours of the morning, you know, after Jimmy and I would be done with work. And he was nice enough to just be like, yeah, like as long as we're getting the work done, you can stay here after hours. Just make sure you lock up and be safe. Don't burn the building down. And holy shit, like the next three years of that were, well, it was like two and a half at that point. But that's when I started just meeting people and doing travel and trips and people would come for the classes and I got to meet all these super talented makers and I'd be helping here, helping there. And then sometimes I'd be full on making a part of a project or Jimmy would trust me enough to go like, you saw how I did this. And because I'm the one teaching you, I know you're going to do it the way that I want it done. And so it became this translating of, you know, if I'm capable of doing a small aspect or a fairly minimal, uh, minimal aspect of something, but it would save Jimmy tons of time. Like we were optimizing time back and forth. He could go and record his podcast or he could go run material errands or whatever it was. And he knew that stuff was still getting done. There was a lot of me still sweeping the floors because as far as I'm concerned, I don't care if you're the big boss or 70 years old, but if you think you're better than just sweeping the floors every now and then you got something totally wrong in your head. They even made a, they even made a point of it in Bruce Almighty, like whatever you think about that movie. But what does fucking Morgan Freeman do? It's like his little cathartic respite. It's I'm just gonna clean and sweep. <laughs> so, so this is where the clean shop, happy shop comes from. <laughs> yeah, I mean it comes from family in the past. Like my grandpa was a big proponent, but I have I am a person who is a thousand times more productive when things are at least organized around me yeah because i have talked about it before where you think of you think about your brain as a computer you only got so much space you know yes brains can handle a lot of information and, and whatnot but if i don't have to think about where my hammer is then that's free space in my computer brain to fill it with more useful shit. so if i'm constantly dealing with dirtiness or disorganization it's like everything's full and i'm i'm at capacity and i'm not able to function right the processors slowed down at yeah, that point yeah, so yeah. I'm a big fan of the clean shop happy shop and i think i rubbed off on jim a little bit whether he'd admit it or not for so long there when he existed in the city shop and even when we first started upstate there definitely wasn't a huge adherence to like let's keep it tidy and neat you know like when he's when he's in the work mode dude you can't stop him yeah but i th i think where things really started to shift is when he would show up in the morning and everything was organized again and cleaned up because it was like holy shit i don't have to work around my hammers and scrap tools and materials and all these things okay. it's just yeah. ready yeah yeah exactly. man yeah i wanted to talk a little bit about getting back to our you know topic of grit you know like 
I think a lot of people don't kind of realize, because you told me in the pre-pod about the fact that, you know, like you're living in this shite apartment in upstate New York, you know, it's cold, you know, you're trying to balance work, you're trying to balance YouTubing, uh, you know, you're trying to like keep food on the table because you're not getting much money in, you know, like this is not exactly like, it's not at all Jimmy's fault in in any way for paying you little money like that's what it was that was the gig you signed up for that yes but you know like the fact is like you know to persevere through that i think again brings back like this grit and i mean how like what sort of things would you have to deal with on a sort of daily basis of uh, getting up and, and going to work for jimmy like well i would say a lot of it comes down to just like mental attitude and, and motivation it's hard for a lot of us, you know, to, to wake up when you don't, maybe you don't feel that great, but you still got to go into the workshop and make stuff. Cause that's how you, you know, put bread on the table. Hmm. You know, my thing was like trying to do my own YouTube situation and maybe find success in it. Okay. Maybe we can get to monetization and, you know, ads will run and then maybe I'll start making enough money on YouTube. But that is a, that is not a typical thing for most people. Um, it doesn't happen that quickly. And also there's just a lot of work that goes into getting the kind of numbers or getting the recognition that would lead to being able to support yourself on a platform like YouTube. Hmm. So I woke up most days knowing that whatever work I was doing, all priority was given to the gig I had signed up for with Jim, right? Which at that, at a certain point we had had enough conversations you know kind of gentleman's agreement on things where he saw the value in me so there was a reasonable exchange of of my time and hours for what i was getting back i was able to at least support myself enough but it was tough sometimes you know i i don't know that i've even told a lot of people about this but i got nothing wrong saying this because it's totally about myself but jimmy came in one morning um a couple of years ago and we had been cruising for a little while, but he showed up and you know, I, I'm not the most emotional person, but I will definitely wear it on my face if I feel something. And he walked in and he's like, dude, what's, what's up? Like something's on your mind, whatever. And I like lost it. I like completely broke down and was like, dude, I can't pay my taxes this year and it's not just like i owe them a little bit of money and i I don't really have it right now it's like what i owe in taxes is like more than i make in a year you know or like a half a year and i'm like i don't know what i have no options and i'm not gonna ask jimmy like that is not what we signed up for you know that was not the agreement that we had it's that i can take care of myself and that i'm meant to be here on my own capacity and I was just like, I, I didn't know what to do or how to handle it. And, you know, he, at that point, we had built up enough of a relationship where he's like, well, look, man, I, I can try and help you a little bit. But like, I think the understanding was like, that's not what we signed up for, man. Like, you're not supposed to be in a situation. And I remember telling him in that conversation, I was like, I might have to stop doing this, dude. Like, I know I could probably go back to the city and get a job. And like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I just can't support 
my life. I can't exist up here. You know, it's, it's just too difficult. And I figured it out. Like it was a weird series of events of doing like a couple little odd jobs on the side. Um, did a little bit of graphic design work. Uh, I had a little bit of money in a 401k from the previous company, like a retirement account. And I had to pull it out to pay my taxes. So like I got screwed because you get for pulling it out early, you get a huge chunk of it taken off and then you have to pay taxes on it because it's technically income. So like I, that was my emergency way, way emergency backup. And I got like thrashed for taking it out, but it's the only thing that I could do to make that thing happen. That was like a one-time gig, right? But that mental health or, or like the, the ability to push through some of those days of just being like, there's no money in my bank account and I have to pay rent. I really want to go work for Jim. We're on a cool project right now. I have a cool idea for a video, but like, my videos aren't getting a ton of views. It's not like things are going to shift tomorrow. I'm going to start making like a full on income from YouTube videos. So how, just, how do you walk into the shop every morning and go, I'm going to sweep for the next two hours and organize things. Then I'm going to pull a full day's work with Jim. Then I'm going to try and work on my video and maybe get it done. And then I'm going to go home and I'm not going to let this stuff stop me from what I want to do. Uh, and so much of it was financially driven that yeah. it became I, maybe it's something that not a lot of people talk about and it's something that i've honestly gotten over like I, i've had a few like really healthy talks with some people in the recent past but i used to hold on to the money thing so hard because i think maybe it came from my upbringing or this a4 lifestyle that you're talking about where like mm. my my idea of success was if I could go out and buy groceries on a regular basis to feed myself and not like ramen noodles that are 10 cents a bag, you know, I want to eat real person food because I'm a grown up and I'm supposed to be able to support myself. Yeah. And so I just held on to this aspect of like not making money, but working very hard or not making a lot of money and working really hard. But also like, I think it took my mother talking to me. She's like, you are doing a thing that very few people do. Yep. There is no safety in what you do, producing YouTube videos and the social media stuff. She's like, you are choosing, you have chosen to follow a path that not many people do, mostly because there is no regular paycheck. There is no safety net. You can't feel comfortable doing these kind of things. And my mom's always been super supportive. I'm, I'm very close with my parents, but a few conversations like that and also jimmy just being like super fucking motivated like don't pay attention to, you know you're working hard work harder like whatever it takes you know he made his own life and and did his own thing and there's a everybody's got variables and their own experiences and stuff but he never let me get too down about anything and would keep just like fucking pushing who who cares who cares if you didn't get a ton of you? Who cares if this thing? You're just going to continue building your portfolio that by the time people actually find you, you'll have 100 videos for them to watch. 
Yeah, exactly. So right. whether it's long term or like short term gain doesn't matter. Like, are you following your passion or are you doing what you want to do? Yeah, because a lot of people have like unhealthy relationships with the numbers, you know, because there's like there's often a comparison, like, you know, and they'll weirdly compare like someone who's been doing it for like 10 years to themselves who's been doing it for like a year or even yeah. like even like three years, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, but did you see Jimmy's new video? It got like, you know, 700,000 views or whatever, right? In, in, in a week. And I'm like, you can't compare. Like, and this is an unhealthy thing. And I, I feel we do that on Instagram as well. Like we look at other people's posts and projects and end up comparing and like seeing that they, these people get like a lot of momentum with certain projects and like, uh, but, you know, I do just as good as job as they do. Like, why don't I have the numbers? You end up get this like unhealthy relationship. Like I said, with the numbers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're, you're focusing on it's, it's hard to impart that on somebody when they're in the shit, mm. right? When you go, Hey, it's not that bad. If you're on a submarine and it's sinking and they go, Hey man, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. like, in that moment, you, you're livid, you know, with the person that tries to throw that shit at you. So when I was in the moment and I'm, I'm like, I can't see the forest through the trees kind of thing. It's, it was so tough. You, you ask where like the grit comes from or all that. Yeah. Past experiences. And I've never been one to back away from a challenge, especially when it's like self-imposed. Hmm. But I also am a firm believer that playing above your league makes you better. Oh uh, yeah. So if you only, you know, challenge yourself with things that you're comfortable with or surround yourself with people that don't really challenge you, you will stay at that level indefinitely. From my opinion, it's like, I would rather walk into, you know, if Michelangelo was still alive and I'm this guy, you know, 35, whatever, and I walk into Michelangelo and go, I saw that David thing you did and holy shit, like I need to be in front of a master. I would not be deterred by asking something like that in, in a similar capacity to what I did with Jim. It was like, I want to be a part of this and I'm going to yeah. play so far above my league that I will only benefit from this. And if I can catch up, then I've already surpassed a lot of people because they're on such a higher level. Right. So you're constantly climbing that, that ladder of, of self self growth. But what I never failed to take uh, advantage or sorry, take note of is that that also comes with the, its own set of experiences yeah getting better at your skill sets or gaining success whatever success is in your mind isn't easy that's why not everybody does it or experiences it so when you're batting above your league and we talk about this you, between you and i about this whole uh, whether it's grit or putting yourself in uncomfortable situations the the exponential growth that you will get out of those. The further away your league that you're batting outside, you know, the, the bigger your challenge, the bigger the game. And I think it's exponential versus those little tiny steps. Okay, you, in art school, you go from the pencil to a crown. Well, look, it's a mark-making device. We're not talking about rocket science versus, you know, making a cup of coffee. But somebody that can challenge you that much harder you're going to gain that much more out of it and you are going to be tried that much harder and you are going to deal with that much more bullshit along the way 
Yeah. But that's what you signed up for. Yeah, because I I often say you are the five people you surround yourself by. So if you surround yourself by the people that you aspire to be like, you're going to come up to their level way quicker than you would ever if you had just been afar. So I think like for me, like seeing that you put yourself in Jimmy's environment, like you literally took the six minutes it took to go there and like went there just to get like to, to see what he was doing to like get that, you know, feedback from him, watch how he did things like, you know, even just having that person around you pick up stuff. And then the fact that he took you on in, in, in the end, I mean, you were really deep in it. And I mean, there there has to be something, some things that you've learned along the way. You're like, I would never have learned that if I didn't go to Jimmy. Absolutely. I mean, smithing for a very specific example. um, I told you I took the knife making class and I was really keen on the whole, you know, I I wish I could do this more. Maybe I'll look for some more classes. Uh, We were at, Jimmy's place one day and I saw his little Vulcan anvil, which it's not a great anvil. It's kind of small. And he had a little forge. And I remember going like, Oh my God, like you have a forge and an anvil and some hammers and stuff. Like, would you mind if I kind of played around on this, you know, after hours or when we're not working? It's like, yeah, whatever, you know, like have at it. Do, do your thing. Just be safe. Don't burn my building down. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I started trying to move metal around. I started watching more forging videos on YouTube. I started trying to learn as much as I possibly could about blacksmithing and just like fascinated by this craft. And because of my love of like old arms and armory, it's like, oh my God, if I got good at this, I could make a sword. So I made a sword and it was bollocks, you know, compared to what <laughs> I know now, like it's a terrible sword. And I made an axe, a big, crazy bearded axe. And every single thing that I did on that axe, it came out great. And I'm very proud about how well it came out and how well it was constructed. But the entire fucking process that I did to make that was wrong and extremely inefficient and destroyed my arms because I was swinging incorrectly and all these things. Like, it was just wrong. But I did it. And I remember Jimmy being like, hey, that's pretty cool. And I'm like, fucking, I just, Jimmy thinks something I made is pretty neat, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like uh, a fan of Jimmy's reached out and asked if he wanted to go to this hammer in. And Jimmy hadn't been doing much smithing at that point. So then it was like, dude, we should go to this. This is a big deal, which was the man at arms, Baltimore knife and sword. Um where we met Chris Cash, you know, Mount Phillip Metalworks, like all these connections started to happen. And I stuck with blacksmithing super hard. And it was just like, I was fighting for more metalwork. Hmm. And then Jim started to get more into it and like got back into it, you know, started cutting his teeth a little bit more. And was like, oh yeah, I, I remember why I got this anvil in the first place. I, I dug smithing. That fucking exploded, right? Like, we started hosting classes for blacksmithing. We started doing like events. Jimmy and I traveled to a power hammer weekend in Montana to learn with Brent Bailey, who's still one of my favorite. And as far as I'm concerned, one of the best Smiths I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. So like fucking crazy connections, right? You play up to this level of this other person or you try and like learn as much as you can from them. And all those trying times, like you are going to find moments that they, they come out of it where you're like, oh, it was worth the work. 
I'm glad I worked this hard because now this is a thing I would have never expected to be able to either do or experience going to events with him, meeting Laura because Laura and Jocko came over for the TV making weekend. I met Laura and Jocko and I was like, holy shit, like, I am massive fans of yours, you know? Like, it was so weird to meet them in person. And it was all because I showed up and, like, put the time in. And then these things started to come out of it. Like, but, God damn. I, I think it's really cool, too, that, like, actually it just wasn't one-sided. Like, you, you brought smithing back to Jimmy Duresta. Like, you brought smithing back to Jimmy Duresta. So, like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's a pretty fucking cool thing. Because yeah. often what we think about is, like, when we put ourselves around all these, you know, big people, we're the little guy, we remain the little guy. But once you've been there a while around these people, you end up having influence on them just as much yeah. as they have influence on you. So yeah. I think that's really, really cool. Well, and it's the moments of the, the connections, right? Take away, take away just this specific class weekend where uh, we did the axe making course with Alex Pohl, Steve House, Moonshine Metalworks, and Joe Garnett, right? The Forge over in England. So Steve and Al on our podcast, Fools with Tools, they invited me on as a guest because they had, found me through the YouTube space. Al specifically found me because we were both doing the zombie challenge from Rory. This is all a bunch like bullshit <laughs> thrown out all at once. So connections made with Al, I get on the podcast. Then I want to be on the podcast because I like these guys. So now I'm on this podcast. Well, here we are going to make your central the first year I get to meet these people in person. Well, by the time the second year comes around, it's like now we're talking about an axe making course with Alex, Steve, and Joe. Now they're over at Jimmy's teaching an axe making course with a guy that I met by way of a, you know, YouTube podcast asking thing, whatever, like years prior. Like connections like that that get made where you don't necessarily need credit because these are things that can and do happen, but it is a super, super nice feeling to know that like neither I or Jimmy knew who Steve or Alex were before mm. this, you know, class thing years later, but because I got into smithing and we're doing these geeky videos and forging stuff, I got to meet Steve and then I got to meet Alex and then we brought them over to the class and now Jimmy meets Alex and Steve and like knows these guys and they're all friendly with each other, but we're forging. You had one anvil when I started here and one shitty little forge. And now we're hosting a fucking ax making class with guys from England. That is a very, very good feeling. Oh man. And you just think about all those connections. It's, it's really amazing. Like, and I just really want to like pound, pound this home. Like if you hadn't gone out of your comfort zone, put yourself in the shit, you know, like gone through all those hard times, none of those connections would have existed. And I think that is the lesson that I think I take away from it. And I hope our audience hears this, like put yourself out there, like, Get yourself, you don't have to go drop your job and work for Jimmy DeResta, but there's plenty of other things you can do. It's like go on purpose and hang out with someone 
that's better than you, you know, and has some skills. Like I really should just hang out at Jürgen's, Jürgen Stray's workshop all the time because he's just amazing. And I, mm-hmm. and I should pick up some skills that I don't do that. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, I got, I got plenty enough to learn there too as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we should all think about a little bit and find what we can do in our lives that'll bring us closer to our goals, right? Absolutely. I think you're right with putting yourself in uncomfortable positions is, you know, it's all relative. Everybody has different backgrounds and responsibilities and, and their baggage that they deal with and stuff. Going through enough ups and downs in my life of like full on deep, dark depressions coming out on the other side, realizing I'm better than that, you know, and I, I don't need to dwell on this and on to the next thing. Like I made that poster design with the help of my buddy who's a better writer than me where like the mantra now and it's on the t-shirts is the make your life thing. Like You absolutely have the capacity to make your life whatever it's going to be. And this isn't in that aspirational, you know, motivational poster stuff where it's like, just keep hanging in there. It's like, no, <laughs> don't hang in there. Fucking hang in there. Then pull yourself up, then move. There's no just hang there forever and shit will work out. Yeah. Right. I, I never really got that whole poster. It's just, just hang on for what? For other people to help you. That's not right. how this shit works. Yeah. That's going back to exactly what I said to you in the beginning of this podcast, I, I reached out and said, can you like, can you, would you be a, like a mentor? And then like realizing that actually I had to do this shit myself. Yeah. You know, like I had to do the work. Like yeah. I, I couldn't let, I, I, I was like, I, w- I wanted someone to hold my hand, you know, and no one's going to hold your hand. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to move. Yes. You want to, you want to start doing something crazy on YouTube? Like, go do it you, yeah. and just be okay with the fact that you're going to get zero views in the beginning. And then maybe in 10 years when people catch on to your craziness and enjoy it, yeah, then, then you feel successful. But I mean, well, and it's an insane, insane gamble that we do with the YouTube space. Like massive gamble. It, one video could blow you apart. Like it could bring, views and subscribers and it could be the thing that sets you off but you never really know what that's going to be and like holding on to any of that stuff paying attention to the numbers or whatever take i'm putting myself as the very specific example here it's been three and a half years since i started i pretty much don't like the first i don't know 10 videos that i produced because i was learning Mm. I, i didn't expect much from them and then you know, I hit so many subscribers and was like, Oh, Oh, wow. Okay, great. Cool. I have like 500 subscribers. This is the best. This is, here's where it all kicks off. And then I hit a thousand. It's like, Oh God. Yeah. Shit's getting real. And then, you know, a couple years in, I hit 10,000 and was like floored. And I remember Jimmy going, dude, this is when it's going to happen. You know, it's going to start cruising. You just like, keep working hard. This is proof in the pudding. It hasn't, as far as like financial success on YouTube, like I have 25,000 or some odd around there. Now, I cannot pay all of my bills with my YouTube income. 
I am still, I won't say struggling. I, I've created kind of a comfortable situation for myself to be in, in terms of like my financial needs versus the work that I have to produce. Patreon has been a huge help because there are people that genuinely believe in what I do and why I do it. And I made it work. But, you know, everything we were talking about 10, 15 minutes ago, if all I did was continue comparing myself to the other numbers that are out there or look at who I've surrounded myself with now. Jess just broke 100,000 on her YouTube. Ben, Ben is extremely successful and has done a fantastic job with putting his creativity out there and sharing it. Mike Montgomery, who also, you know, has passed a million or whatever. I came to be a part of something a little bit bigger again with people that are in this business mindset or in this YouTube numbers mindset. They're all bigger than me. Yeah. I'm batting above my league again because I believe in myself and what I'm capable of doing. Yeah. And you know, you said something that was just interesting too. It's like, like YouTube's kind of really amazing um, because you said something about like, like if your video gets like 3000 views, for example, but you're the, you're in the same gallery as a Picasso, you know what I mean? Like, and you should be happy that 3000 people like went in and, you know, and saw your, your work. Yeah. You know, if trying to fit those 3000 people into a fucking room, you know, then you put that shit in like perspective people like when, can you sit 3000 people down for what was your last video? 18 minutes or something. Well, right. When can you sit 3000 people down for 18 minutes straight to watch your video on a big screen? Like you can't exactly like, and uh, yeah, this analogy just to clarify it even more. You get those 3000 people to sit down and watch an 18 minute long video while there's a Picasso video in the other room. That's 10 minutes long. Yeah. Right. Right. Like you have the option if YouTube and social media are something that you want to chase, just try and keep the positive perspective. I'm telling myself this, and this is after a couple of years of dealing with a lot of like ups and downs. I think I've gotten to a better mental state and I have a better perspective on, on like, I get to put my videos out amidst everybody else's. And if you look at it from the gallery analogy that we're looking at, if I tried to go take one of my paintings to a random gallery around here, I was like, hey, I'd like to put this up. There's a good chance they'll say no. Yeah. Or like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Or what is your heritage in the art world? You know, there's a thousand things that, that could stop you from having that opportunity. YouTube and social media is absolutely whatever you make it. So mm -hmm. if you make good videos, you get to put them in the same place as everybody else. The fact that you can pull anybody to come see what you're doing amidst the other talent that's out there. Like, come on, man. Let's be happy. You gotta have people. a better attitude about that. Yeah, and I do, right. we're talking about the numbers and I know we talked about this in the pre-pod, so we were kind of gonna get to it anyways, but I will feed it. The, the biggest like shift in perspective I, I got more and more comfortable with the longer I've been doing this is quality over quantity. I know it is a cliche statement, but by YouTube standards, 
even though I like, I love how many subscribers I have and I love the comments sections that I get. Molly's fucking so supportive. It's great people. But by YouTube standards, if you look at it from a business perspective, I am small, small, small. Hmm. I'm, I'm not necessarily one that's going to get sponsor deals every day or like a tool company calling me or banging on my door for anything. And I have gotten a couple of sponsors, you know, that are like one shot videos and stuff, but they pay a little bit. I'm on a tiered system. Like they're not doing anything wrong. They're not, they're not treating me worse than anybody else, but it is a business at the end of the day. You are a low tier person. Therefore you're on our low tier pricing. Yeah. Okay. I accept that. The crazy thing about it is the people that I have that are following me or that have, that have found me, like they get it. And then the sponsor stuff starts to make a lot less worry go through in my head. And I'm like, well, look, I, I have this fossil project with this guy who knows me from YouTube and started following me. And now he wants me to do these sculptural displays where I forge them for his beautiful old work so that he can then give them to clients or as gifts or sell them or whatever he wants to do with them, whatever. Yeah. But it's a, it's a paid gig. It is a paid gig that comes out of me doing YouTube. And it is like a private thing between the two of us in terms of what our, our business exchange is. But I don't know anybody else that's got something like that. None of my friends, none of my people in the YouTube space have like a, you know, at my size, at, at 25,000 subscribers, you get somebody that goes, look, I want to basically pay you to be you and do what you do for as long as I'll, I can have you do it. Mm. That's a game changer. And it's one person. It's, it took one person to get me what is effectively an ongoing paid gig. And that's, that's exactly it, man. It only takes one. So like, you know, everyone's getting upset that they're, you know, they don't get any views, but as long as one person had a look at your video, that one person could all of a sudden knock on your door and say, Hey, how about this? How about making yeah. a whole heap of stuff for my fossils and I'll pay you. I mean, fuck me, man. Like that's, yeah. I think we've, we got this all backwards guys. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, agree I could only that, dream of that. I could only dream like yeah. someone knocks well, on my door. You know what? It could happen tomorrow. Cause you know what? I, you know, I get more than one person looking at my videos and yeah. Well, and you know, I, I don't mean to sound so like everything needs to be deep and heartfelt, but I, I am a firm believer in what we decide to share or what we put out to the world. <laughs> This is my opinion for sure, but I want to know that what I put out there can like show somebody that it's either not that hard or disarm the, the challenge of it all or, or give them a little bit of motivation to try something they've never done before because 99% of my videos, the things that I've built in them, I've never done it before. Yep. But I'm, I'm good at putting the pieces together. I'm good at utilizing my skill sets to achieve the goal. Yeah. But you know, I, I don't know how many messages I've gotten over the years of people just being like, I love what you do. Oh my God. Like my, I watch it with my kids now, which I never expected. And they're like, my kids love you. Like the pirate thing. They love the skulls. Where's your skulls? You know, they haven't been in the video. These connections that you make with complete fucking strangers 
means that you're having an impact on somebody's life enough yeah. for them to at least reach out and say something nice to you. Yeah, it's like, again, the gallery analogy, you could put your stuff up in a gallery and no one says a word to you and they all walk right by your video. And that, that would have to be something that you accept. But think of if someone comes up and goes, wow, I really love this. And like wants to hear about who you are as a person and what you put into your work and, and all this stuff. Again, you grab that person from the ether of like everything that exists in social media and YouTube. And you've grabbed them and made a connection. They, they have engaged with you or something about what the work that you've done has spoken to them. That is a, that is a feeling that should be way higher up on the, the priorities and, and win list than how many views your fucking video gets. Because you'll see that return in a monetary value if you are monetized. But how many times have you seen the gigantic videos that have 30 or 40 million views and like 20 comments? Or like you never know what the person that's actually making the thing looks like. They don't really talk to anybody. So yeah. you're like, you can go and, and do that. And I'm sure those people's lives are enriched by them being able to make content and make money off of it. I am a firm believer that when I leave this mortal coil and my time is done here, that like maybe I made an impact. Like super small. I don't, I don't care about the size, but like did you make an impact? Did, were people affected by the things you put out in the world? Did you inspire a young person, somebody that is not of your generation to go, you know what? I saw that person and I want to do what they do. Yeah. That, that should be held in way higher regard than how many goddamn subscribers you have. Like, I just don't care. I love this, man. I, you know, I think we as small YouTubers, you know, I think definitely feel that all the time. And I think it's nice to actually say it differently because unfortunately a lot of people, whether we like it or not, are very consumed by the numbers. And I think it's kind of, it'll kill you inside. So I think it will, I think it's it will eat you alive. Mm. So I do though, think we should uh, move through this podcast. I want to skip over a couple of segments here and I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to finish off with the rapid fire five. Go on. You ready? Let's hit it. All right. Fill in the blank. Creativity is? Hard. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Go watch my video where I did the doodle drawings. I actually <laughs> love the statement I made at the end of that, where it's creativity is hard, and then I say a few more things. Love it, man. What's something people get wrong about you, Brett? Uh, that I literally live like a pirate every day. <laughs> like, I like it. It is a thing that I'm into, but like, no, how's the rum? You know, like go have some rum and drink. I haven't, I have not had a drink of alcohol in eight years. I'm like, cheers folks. There you go. Shit, man. Um, what's your favorite thing to do when you're not being creative? Uh, mindless tasks like video games. Yeah. Like, seriously sit down, do it. I am a fan of escapism since a little kid. I, a lot of that fed into this stuff, but go do something that you get to feel achievement in, but it's, it's pretty mindless, right? Like playing a video game and like leveling up a character. You're like, Hey, I did that thing. It doesn't really mean anything has no effect on your life. You're not going to get an award for doing it, but 
it helps me out a lot. Uh, what project is completely priceless that you could never sell? Oh, wow. Oh God. Um, I wasn't quite ready for that. <laughs> you know, I sent you a format, Brett. I don't know if you read it. <laughs> I know you did. It was specifically on the rapid fire. So I was like, I want this to be gut shot. So I just like glanced over it. it I love it. <laughs> what? So I, I painted a picture for my mom when I was younger. And I think there are, I honestly, I can't think of any specifics, but stuff that I've done that are, that are extremely sentimental value things. Like there are gifts that I have given to people in the maker community that I'm friends with, that it's like, as far as I'm concerned, somebody else could come tomorrow and ask for that same thing. And I'd be like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, let's put it this way. I restored a 200 plus year old post vice and gave it to Jess because she was getting into blacksmithing and did not have a properly sized vice because she was going to start a workshop and stuff like that. And this is before I moved out here. So I found one and restored it. And it's the oldest thing I've ever worked on. And it's beautiful. And I love how it turned out. And somebody could offer me, I don't know how much money for that thing. And it is a connection I made with another maker and person. And I knew she would appreciate it. And fucking you could never buy that yeah love it um this is the last question the most difficult question i think um what does happiness look like yeah do you do you find success and happiness are synonymous with each other i think i'm trying to split them because often i feel like if I focus on the success, then probably I'll lose sight of happiness. I think happiness for me right now is like finding the small joys in the day, you know? So like today I got shop time and I also got time to sit and have lunch with my wife. Like I don't normally get that. So like that's happiness for me. It's like Mm -hmm. I get good time with my wife. I also got shop time. And, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm moving forward in, in the day and I got something achieved. Right. Yeah. So I a hundred percent agree with you on that. I think people need to figure out how to separate those two a little bit better because they mm-hmm. can, they can kind of eat each other. So to me, I think this is just a going forward or at least what I can perceive as the rest of my life. I would like to be able to wake up every morning and be creative. Whatever that means, if it means, uh, you know, working on relationships with people, creating new relationships. I say creative uh, as mostly the base term, create. I would like to create every day, whether it's a relationship or something I do in the workshop or a fucking good sandwich. (laughs) I've made that joke before, but like, People don't give themselves enough credit for when they do a very small task, but do it very, very well and, and get to appreciate it for themselves, right? If you are hungry and you make yourself a really great little meal for the middle of the day, you're like, wow, this tastes great. I made this. Take a moment. Like, it should make you way happier than we're so skewed by like 
successes and happiness and the things that we need to gauge as controllers for our happiness. Dude, I like a really good cup of coffee in the morning. Like if it's made just right, oh, don't talk to me for 20 minutes. I'm just going to do this. Exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Um, Where can people find you, Brett? We are on Instagram at skullandspade13. And if you search that on YouTube, you should find me. But technically, my channel name is Brett McAfee, spelled like the antivirus software. <laughs> yeah. um, thanks, Brett. Thanks for coming on the show. I uh, really appreciate the time and all the time we also had uh, together at the pre-podcast. Um, it was really great to actually just get some real time with you. Um, I also want to thank everyone for listening. I hope you guys got something from this episode. Um, you know, if you're not for some weird reason following Brett, you know, and you've been, like I said, living under an anvil, uh, please go follow Brett. All the links will be in the show notes. Um, if you want to be one of the cool kids, you can join the GA nation by heading over to Patreon. Otherwise you can support me just as much. Uh, and support all the amazing guests that have been on the show and will be on the show uh, by you know making a YouTube video of a hand forged make ideas reality podcast logo hint 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 oh. or <laughs> or simply just reposting and sharing this podcast yeah. I would love your feedback guys uh, please send your DMs to at Garage Avenger on Instagram. Um, please go again, check out Brett if you haven't already. Um, until next time, keep pushing yourself, keep ballsing up things, keep learning, get inspired, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Done. You're well played, man. I love the sign off too.